businessmen, gamers, movie buffs, lend me your ears. Actually, in this case, lend me your eyes. Get ready to be blown away by today's episode. I'm interviewing Barmak Heshmet. He's the CEO of Braylion Displays, where we're going to be discussing the incredibly immersive and energy-efficient Braylion Display. I know you're going to love this episode. Hello, tech friends, and thank you for tuning in to Emerging Technologies in Business, where we take a deep dive into different technologies that are impacting businesses today and in the very near future. I'm your host, Brock Reine, and this podcast is brought to you by Kincannon XR. Let's talk tech. Hey, everybody. I'm joined today by Barmok, the CEO of Braylion. Thank you so much for being here, Barmok. We're really excited to learn about the uh, Braylion Ultra Reality Display. How's your day going so far? Going great. Thank you so much for having me on this channel. Absolutely. We're super excited to have you. I had a chance to see the review of your display at CES this year and I was pretty mind blown. There's a lot of folks that can't wear headsets on a day-to-day basis. I think this gives such a really great idea and a different way to absorb an immersive field. Um, And I think the first thing I wanted to ask you was this innovative design is so immersive compared to the standardized displays that we have today. Um, And they're occupying desks that we're probably used to seeing guys that have four monitors that are stacked together. Like, What makes this innovative design so immersive compared to those standardized setups that we have today? Yeah, Brock, well, I think, you know, you're right that, um, you know, as we sort of take the time forward and we look into future, I don't think everybody would want to wear a headset six hours a day, every day. And so the idea was like, what could be an alternative to headsets so that you can get, you know, an immersive experience um, of the internet, of the computer, uh, but you still don't have to wear a headset or commit to wearing something on your face. Um, and so that's kind of, you know, that's kind of the problem we're solving. Um, with regards to what is it that actually makes it immersive? Uh, well, we play with the wavefront of the light to, to give you monocular depth or single eye depth or optical depth, basically, um, and also give you panorama. So we have two technologies that work together to really enable this. One is we refer to as depth modulation and the other one we refer to as light field expansion. Now, these are two family of technologies that allow you to bring basically larger field of views and more sense of depth to far standing displays. So once you have those two immersive or emerging cues, which is basically panorama and depth, then you're already halfway there to get a headset like experience from a sort of a small aperture device. And that's how we we are able to, for example, give you a 122-inch, you know, image experience from a 30-inch aperture from our display. I think it's a big difference too, right? And folks who have to be in, you know, if they're going through like their pilot's license or having to do a flight simulator or even those competitive gamers, specifically the ones who are doing driving games, I think that was the coolest thing I saw was that people were doing Forza, 4Z or whatever it was inside of your display and they were truly feeling like they were truly immersed at the time. Um, Have there been any use cases that you've seen um, that have maybe been unique for the ultra reality display? Yeah, absolutely. I I think, I think you mentioned it correctly. So, you know, that sense of depth that we give, you know, the depth that the display provides, you know, uh, extends meters, you know, in front of the viewer. So it actually kind of represents a, like a half-tone cinema experience. 
Um, and that's very good for uh, games that have a flow or, or a motion, a sort of forward motion in an environment, um, because the depth of that content usually matches the depth profile that our display sort of provides. Um, and that's, that's why, you know, things like, you know, flight simulation, simulation racing, first person shooter games, those really shine well in, in these kind of virtual displays that we provide. Um, yeah, so that's, that's, those are the games. And I think if you think about it a little further, you know, um, you know simulation training is already an industry of, of itself. Right. So that could be also very advantageous in that industry too. And, you know, it seems like this is kind of a stepping stone and a great alternative in the way of getting into the metaverse, right? So without the need of a headset or anything else, and was that the intention was to provide an immersive solution without the need of a headset? Um, I know that sometimes headsets can cause headaches and eye pain for folks and not everybody can use them. So was the intention to have this as kind of an alternative for that? Um, the answer to that uh, is, is yes, but I would say that we, we think very differently about metaverse. So, you know, um, you know, you, you, you know, as soon as you say metaverse, maybe you're thinking of these like 3D avatars and, you know, some virtual parks that people are walking in and things like that. But our vision of, of metaverse is very, how, how to say, it's very uh, pragmatic, I would say. Like we, we are mostly focused on just increasing your efficiency and your bandwidth with computers. Um, we think that there is at least like, you know, around 15 to 20 X improvement that we can do just by sort of engineering the, the light field that comes to you from the display and sort of weaving intelligence into it um, uh, before we need to ask people to wear a headset or before we need to put a chip in their brain, you know, we can do so much better than flat miners. Um, and, and so that's kind of where our head is at is, is just bringing value from the minimum amount of depth cues and minimum amount of sort of immersive immersion cues that we can provide to, to, to the visual uh, field of view of the user, um, like extracting maximum of value for that and really going to applications where that little bit of depth or that little bit of extra panorama can really go far, you know, go far and give value. So that's, that's how we think about metaverses, we're just increasing the visual bandwidth. I think that's interesting, too, because it is a different way to think about it, right? So everyone thinks metaverse, and they instantly think Oculus, or they instantly think VR, and that may not be exactly what we're talking about in the long term. In the real reality, we're really talking about XR. Um, we're not necessarily talking about the metaverse, but just XR in general and how that affects our lives and how it changes everything. Uh, I know one question I hadn't posed to you previously, but I'd like to ask you is, um, how does this work ergonomically? Does that work into any aspect there? Because we're having a lot more people working from home. We're spending so much money on these fancy chairs that we have, but we might not be thinking on the opposite spectrum, right? Yeah, we're worried about where we're sitting, but what about our eyes? Those are something that we're going to have to have long-term too. Does this replace kind of that four-screen format, or is this better for us ergonomically? Yeah, that's, there's, I can talk forever on this, you know, we have done okay. so, it's like, you know, um, so it, it's, it's really fascinating because, you know, you would easily, you know, spend like maybe, you know, $800 or a thousand dollars even for a very fancy chair so that you, yeah, 
you know, a computer. But, you know, when it comes to display, you want to always go with like, you know, a 200 box monitor, which is like, you know, the right. cheapest fine. And, and, you know, there is, there's so much literature on, you know, eye fatigue and, you know, how you can accommodate that. And, and, you know, if you remember, there was, there was this common belief that, you know, you have to stay a certain distance from a display so that you can have less eye fatigue and there's merit to that. And so what we do is really we play with light to put the image in, in, in a distance that is more comfortable to your eye. So your eye muscles can actually sort of relax into, into the further distance and reduce the eye fatigue. And, and it's, it's hard to really like um, um, convey that uh, through, through a video, but uh, basically Brilliant is, is kind of like the most comfortable sort of image you've looked at. It's, it's like plugging your laptop into, an, you know, into a theater, which is kind of further away. So it feels like very, very comfortable to the eye as opposed to like um, looking at a monitor. The, the Delta is very much like the Delta you have on looking at your laptop screen versus your monitor screen, right? right. How you okay. how you prefer, like you're like something just makes me more comfortable and efficient when I plug into a monitor, right? That's why yeah. most people would use a desktop monitor uh, or, or use, you know, do desktop computing. They always connect their laptop into a, into a monitor because of that eye comfort. It's a very subtle thing, but it kind of accumulates as as you use you use a monitor six hours a day every day. Now imagine another delta added to that, and that's kind of where we're headed at. It, it's just you know there, there's we have this graph where there is there is an overlap between comfort, performance, and immersion, and we're really trying to optimize for those as opposed to just dial, dialing all the way to immersion in the, in the price of sacrificing performance and and comfort. That's kind of the fun part of this world that we live in right now, Barmak, you know, is that we're going into a cave that no one's ever gone into before. And we're just trying to figure it out. Like we don't know what that proper balance is yet, but you're absolutely right. Like I get total eye fatigue if I'm staring at my laptop versus staring at a display. And I just think that that's something that we haven't put enough focus on. Um, I think one of the coolest things I saw when I was talking uh, or researching and learning a little bit more about Braylion, um was how impressed everybody was with the depth of field inside of the display. Can you talk to me a little bit about how that works and why people are saying that when they're utilizing your display, they're able to see really deep into the picture and still have really good focus? Yeah, I think, I think you can also see that in the, in the CNET interview. Um, and, and, and so the, the reason that you, you get this kind of um, high fidelity of the depth is that well, you know, we are using a certain optical mechanism to keep the the, the wavefront of the uh, light very, very clean. And, and that cleanliness of the wavefront of the light, it gives you that fidelity that we, we need in depth. Um, so, so, so if I want to like, you know, give a simple example, think of it as, you know, the difference between the first Oculus lens that came out and a, a, a telescope mirror, for example, like the fidelity of the telescope mirror, right? Or the, the fidelity of those early lens, uh, uh, early cameras of cell phones, you know, those early, you know, low resolution camera lenses. Oh yeah, my Razer XX was awesome back in the day. <laughs> yeah, and, and like DSLR, you know, optics quality. So, you know, there's a lot of work that goes into like making sure that you're not perturbing the light in a way that creates artifact in the image. So that's one part of it. But the other interesting part of it is the uh, uh, the depth profile itself. So 
So we have also published some papers on this, which is all about like, how are you fitting that depth profile of, of humans? There's, there's some um, psychophysics and also sort of, um, uh, sort of uh, ergonomic cues that you have to, to consider when you're designing a virtual image. Um, and so right now the VR headsets, basically, they give you two discrete channels, one for each eye, but the, the, the monocular profile of those channels actually doesn't fit the natural horopter of human eye. So horopters are these depth layers that you see with both of your eyes, right? And so, so what we have done uh, with Brilliant is that we have really optimized uh, very well to sort of fit into that natural horopter. And once you fit into that, to that curvature that the eye is expecting for depth at a certain distance, then the brain does the rest of the work and you, you feel like, hmm, they had these mountains actually look like they should be in the place that, they, that, that my brain expects. And that's, that's how you get that sense of immersion. I think that's the coolest part, right? Because true immersion is when we can finally get all the five senses together. And I feel like you guys have really captured this one, right? If we can find a way to feed people while we can make them smell at the same time, that will be freaking amazing. And all of a sudden we'll have a gym that people can go to. Sorry, my cat's going crazy behind me at the moment. Uh, so speaking further, um, I know that these displays are currently intended for enterprise customers, but do you anticipate that there's going to be a consumer model that's going to be coming up here down the road? The answer to that is yes. You know, for a startup, it's very important to, to get to value fast. Like, right. you know, you don't want to go around circle in your lab and, you know, thinking that, you know, uh, this is suddenly going to become an iPhone or something like that. And a lot of headset companies made that mistake. Um, so what we are doing is really focusing on places where even a little bit of depth or a little bit of immersion, the way we bring it can have a notable value. And that's in enterprise places like simulation training, control centers, teleoperation centers, finance and trading, you know, gaming arcades and so on. Those are the areas that, you know, this can really shine well and we can have, you know, decent margins, even in low volumes. Um, but as you basically sort of mature in that beachhead market, then you want to go to sort of larger and larger market. So after enterprise is prosumer and then it's consumer. Consumer is like, kind of like going to Olympics, okay? So, um, you know, it, it takes time, but of course it is in, in our horizon. We have a partnership with, with LG and, and Corning Glass, which is publicly known. So we are working hard to sort of make that happen, but uh, it's gonna take a little time. Of course. So where can our users try out one of these displays if they wanted to? Are there places around the country that they might be able to see them in person? I'm glad that you asked, yes. So, um, you know, we have uh, a location in Silicon Valley, San Mateo, as well as in uh, uh, Taichung in Taiwan. We have a, a showcasing partner in New York, um, uh, as well as in, in San Diego and in Singapore. So yeah, uh, check, our, check out our website, www.brilliant.com, and you can find the locations that you can go and actually uh, play on these displays or just get a demo. We have also a unit in, in Vegas, in Velocity Esports, and in Sports Connect in North Carolina. So you can actually go and play a game on, on a Brilliant display. All right, and the last question for you, Barmak. So just for fun, what was the first MP3 player that you owned, and what was one song that got played entirely too much? Yeah, so I think, I think the... 
the uh, first MP3 player that I owned was uh, was a creative MP3 player, and it was like a tiny black thing with a blue light, um, very kind of like cyberpunk sort of style. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I think I think the battery lasted like two hours or something. And, and that was the best back then. Like that was a pretty good battery, really. I mean, MP3 was like magic, right? Right. Uh, and and I think the the song that I was listening a lot was maybe like "Waiting for Tonight" by Jennifer Lopez or something. Yes, like I love it. Whoa! Yeah, can't get over it. Love it. That's yeah. fantastic, man. That's such a great answer. Bar Mike, seriously, got to tell you, thank you for being on the show. Thanks for telling us a little bit more about Braillian. I'm super excited to see where to see where your displays go because. CES next year, my friend. I'm going to be right there with you. I can't wait to experience it in first person. Uh, you already told our audience where to go. Check out Braillion.com. That's B-R-E-Y-L-O-N.com. Uh, and then follow them for more and more information. Super, super cool display. If you don't have one, check it out. Um, for those that are listening at home, you can also find our podcast on socials at ETIB Podcast. I do want to take a quick moment to thank our sponsor, uh, Kincannon XR, who sponsors this podcast. XR is the future. If you're working in the XR world or you're looking to step into the future with XR, Kincannon XR is here to help you bring your XR dreams into reality. Regardless if you're developing your own XR application or you're looking for a helping hand to take an idea to the next level, Kincannon is here to help. Reach out to Kincannon XR by emailing them at inquire at kincannonxr.com. That's going to do it for today. Thank you, Barmock, so much for being here and telling us more about Braillion. Uh, I've been your host, Brock Riney, everybody. We're going to talk some more emerging tech next time. Thanks, y'all. Bye. Yeah. Bye.